Well, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed, and that changes everything. Happy Easter. Thanks so much for joining us. I was thinking through just how much everything changes as a result of what Jesus has done for us, as a result of Christ's work for us on the cross, and the fact that three days later he rose again. It literally changes everything about our outcome. It changes everything about our eternity. It changes everything about who we are. And I started thinking about drastic changes in my life. And I don't know about you, but the time where I noticed the most drastic changes in my life was when I was married. I was, I was 27 years old. I was 27 years old when I got married. And my bed went from having two pillows on. The only reason it had two pillows was because that way, whenever I got one pillowcase dirty, I could just slide over to the other side of the bed for a while and sleep on that side without having to do all the laundry of the sheets to having 13 pillows on our bed. I don't know why you need 13 pillows on a bed. I just know that they're there, and I just know every morning they're back on the bed just for us to throw them off the bed again at night. Not really sure what's going on, but pick your battles, gentlemen. Pick your battles. We have, we have in our kitchen a cutting board, which, silly me, I thought it's a cutting board, so it's supposed to have things placed upon it to cut. It has our name put on it. Somebody got it for us, our, our names on the cutting board. And I, I bought some steak on sale because it wasn't trimmed, so I was going to trim it myself. So I take the package out. I let it set for a little while, come up a little bit in temperature. I unwrap the package. I grab the cutting board. My wife runs around the corner, set a world record in terms of speed. I don't just mean for her. I mean, she would put Olympic sprinters in the dust, how fast she ran into the room. And with a shriek, she asked me what I thought I was doing, to which I replied, preparing dinner. And she said, you don't use that cutting board. <laughs> well, what's the point of the cutting board? We use the other cutting board. That one's for decoration. There are things in our life that we just have that we don't use. And in the midst of today, when we celebrate the fact that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive, he rose again, which proves that sin, death, hell, and the grave are not victorious, but our God is victorious. An aspect of this, an aspect of this story that we celebrate was made possible. All because somebody had something that they weren't using. And that's where we pick up the story today. We've been going through the book of Matthew, the end part of Matthew, as we've looked at the cost of our salvation. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us today. There's a phenomenal resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize, and it's called the Bible app. And once you download and install it on your device, it's free, by the way, there are a number of fantastic features available within the Bible app. But one of the features that we utilize often here at Lakeside is called Events. And within the events feature, you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us this morning right there in the Bible app. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, again, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start this morning in verse 57. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and we are so glad that you are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us this Easter morning. We have just seen, as we've journeyed through Matthew chapter 27, all that Jesus did on our behalf. 
We looked at his final hours. We looked at how he was tried, how he was abandoned, how he was betrayed. And then on Friday night, as we, we gathered together, we saw that he was crucified and that he died to pay the price for our sin. And the aftermath of the cross is where we pick up the account of Matthew 27, verse 57, where we read these words. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. Now, Jesus has been crucified. The disciples, they scattered. But here is Joseph, a disciple who's not talked about very often because elsewhere in Scripture we find out that he was a secret disciple. And he comes after the aftermath of the crucifixion. And Scripture lets us know right away that he's a rich man. He's a rich man. And so contrary to what the popular narrative may be in certain circles, recognize this, that God loves all people. God loves the rich. He loves the poor. He loves the middle class. God loves everyone and can use everyone for his glory. And Scripture goes out of its way to describe for us that Joseph of Arimathea is a man who has means. He's a wealthy man. Joseph, verse 58 says, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. This lets us know that Joseph's not, not only rich, but he's a man of influence. To have a meeting with the governor right after all the events that have just taken place, and to go to the governor with the request of, I want the body of the man whose hands you washed and left it up to the crowd, and the crowd cried out, crucify him, and you have crucified I want his body. And Pilate gives it to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a new clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Jesus take, jo Joseph takes the body of Jesus, he wraps it in clean linen, and Joseph has a tomb. He's pre-bought his burial plot. My grandfather was an undertaker, and I'll never forget one day my grandfather and my grandmother took me and my sister as we were growing up. I was probably around 10 years old at the time. They took us to lunch. And after lunch, they wanted to take us and show us something very special. And they took us to a cemetery. And they pointed to empty ground. And they said, right here is where we'll be buried. I thought this was really strange. My sister was petrified. And so I started jumping up and down and said, this is going to be Papa's bones one day. And my grandfather thought it was hilarious. And my sister looked like she was going to vomit. Like, they, they took us there. I didn't recognize that people regularly did this. Some do. Joseph did. He had a tomb all set for himself. And what he does is he takes the body of Jesus and he prepares him for burial. And then he places the body of Jesus in the tomb. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. All the Marys are there. They've seen the ministry of Jesus up close. They've seen it firsthand. They know the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. Other disciples, they scattered. But Mary's watched. And now they just can't look away. Because Jesus changed their lives. Jesus gave them hope. Jesus saw beyond what everybody else saw when they looked at them. And now they sit and look at the body of the, the man who loved them in a pure way. The man who changed their lives. And the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, they called him that imposter, said, While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. <laughs> Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. The chief priests, the people who operated in a role that God designed to be a spiritual role and they turned it into something that was much more perverse than that. They leveraged the role that God designed to be a spiritual role to enhance people in their love and their devotion and their ability to follow after God. And they turned it into a political office. They turned it into a way to gain power and to hold it over people and to be people of influence and prestige. Jesus was their worst nightmare. And for people that knew the scriptures and had devoted their lives to, to trying to understand them, they had all of the knowledge in their head, but it couldn't make its way into their heart so that the Messiah they were waiting for, they completely missed when he arrived. And now they call Jesus an imposter, blinded by their own hate, blinded by their own ambition unable to see that Jesus is who he said he is. And so this could be a conspiracy. This could be a really big problem. So we need to make sure that Jesus stays in that tomb. They were feeling good about themselves. They could finally go back to how things were. They could once again enjoy their power without being threatened. They had dealt with the problem. 
he was in the tomb. But now they said, we don't want a conspiracy to take place. We don't want his followers to come and to steal his body. For that would be a bigger problem than what we've already dealt with and what we have already overcome. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So there is now a stone that is in front of the tomb, and it is now sealed. And now there are guards outside of the tomb of Jesus. And that's how Matthew chapter 27 ends. But Matthew has more than 27 chapters. And God was up to something more. Now, after the Sabbath, Matthew 28, verse 1 tells us, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The Marys go back. They go back to see the tomb again. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. If you've ever wondered where we get the phrase scared to death from, this is it. This is it right here. And I don't know what kind of basic training those soldiers went through. I don't know what they had seen in battle, but here's what I know. If all of a sudden there's an earthquake and an angel descends and he's glowing whiter than you can even fathom, I don't care what you were trained for. You weren't trained for that. <laughs> the ground it shakes. There is a great earthquake. An angel descends from heaven. He came and he rolled back the stone. And then I love it. He just sits on top of it. It's like just spiking the ball after a big touch. Just like, that's just victory right there. He just sits on top of the stone. His appearance was like lightning. I mean, go back to when you were a little kid. And there was that thunderstorm right outside your window. Some of you are thinking, little kid, nothing. I'm still that way. I'm pulling the blankets up over my head. Now, you know, I, I'm one of the freaks that loves watching a storm. But if it gets real close, it gets your attention. And now all of a sudden, an angel descends, and it looks like lightning. And his clothes are super bright, white as snow. These guards are scared to death. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. This is the message of God. Come and see. 
Come and see that the tomb is empty. Come and see that sin doesn't win. Come and see that death is no longer the final point. Come and see that hell has been stripped of its victory. Come and see that though you rebelled, I still love you. Come and see that your shame is gone. Come and see that you have hope. Come and see that I win. I love that the angel tells that to the women. He doesn't care about the guards who are scared to death. He's giving that message to the women. And the message of God has not changed. And for those of you who are here today, or you're watching along, and maybe you're here because somebody drug you, or maybe you're watching along begrudgingly, and you're like, would this guy just shut up so I can get on with my day and turn on the masters once I get the TV back? <laughs> like, I don't know, all right? I know. I know. But here's the deal. The message of God to you today is this. Come and see. Come and see. God is not scared off by your questions. God is not scared off by your doubts. God is not scared off by your inability to reconcile something in your mind. The message of God is seek after me, come and see, and I will reveal myself to you. Take that step. Take that step. And you will see that God is not scared. He has risen. But that's not all the message. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The message of the angel is come and see and go and tell. Go and tell. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, the message of God has not changed. And the message of God for you is this, go and tell. Go and tell. Go tell the disciples what he has done. Go and tell. And if you've made the decision to give your life to Jesus, the message of God for you is this. Go and tell. We live in a world that desperately needs hope. We live in a world that is so confused. We live in a world right now that never before has information been so readily available. Never before has there been so much misinformation. And never before have there been so many incredible resources to keep us connected. And never before have people felt so alone. We have a desperate need of hope in our society. And the message of God to us is to go and tell. To go and tell. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. To take his message of love and of hope and transformation and grace and peace. No one has peace. 
our hearts don't even break anymore when we, when we hear of things that should just break our hearts. And the reason they don't break anymore is because it's daily. Everywhere we look, there's no peace. The message of today is do whatever makes you feel great. And so people try it, and then they're miserable. And then they try to convince you how happy and how fulfilled they are. And the message of God is that if we would follow after him, if we would give our lives to Jesus, if we, would, if we would strive to be more and more like him and less and less like ourselves, we would experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And the message for those of us that love and follow Jesus is to go and to tell. Not that we're obnoxious about it. And not that we're angry with anybody that doesn't listen to our message. But that we see people. And we see the hurt. And we see the need. And we see the desperation. And our hearts break. Not that we look at people and, and scoff at them. That we look at people and call them freak shows. Or we shake our heads disappointingly at every choice and every decision that people make. But instead we look at people with the eyes of Jesus. And our hearts are filled with compassion. That we love people who disagree with us. That we love people who agree with us. And we tell everyone we can about the fact that our mistakes and our regrets and our shame no longer have dominion over us. Because the tomb is empty. That death is something we no longer have to fear. Now, I don't know anybody that wants to sit around and think about the process of dying. But that the finality of death is something we no longer fear because the author and the creator of life is victorious and greater than death. And there is a tomb that is empty that points to that fact. That sin, it no longer makes us its slave. We no longer have to chase after the things that we think we're going to like, but then all of a sudden find ourselves enslaved to. But we can be delivered from all of that. Why? Because the tomb is empty. Go and tell. And, and what did the Marys do? They departed quickly. I would too if there was an earthquake and an angel came down. And I think it's really cool that he's sitting on top of the stone that he just pried loose. And I think it's really cool that he looks like lightning. But I'm freaking out. 
And they were too. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. God is going to show up in your life sometimes. And you're going to want it to be in a nice little box, and you're going to want to be able to explain exactly what God is up to every step of the way, and you're going to want to be able to say, well, this is what I have to do, and this is what I have to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and God's going to show up, and all of a sudden, it's not going to make sense. And if you're honest, there's fear. Because God calls you to do something you don't want to do, or God calls you to do something you don't understand. God, God calls you to go somewhere you don't, you don't want to go, or you don't understand what he's up to. Or God works in such a way that just blows your mind. You're like, I'm totally unprepared for what God is doing through me. In those moments when there is fear, keep moving. And don't allow the fear to snuff out the joy. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual if you have those moments of uncertainty. The Marys did. But they kept their feet moving with fear and great joy. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there, they will see me. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've given him your life, if you've recognized the point where you recognize that there is a void in your life because God has standards and he gets to make the standards because he's the creator and as the creator and the author, he gets to make the rules. And if you've reached the point in your life where you recognize that you violated those rules, that's something that the Bible calls sin, and you recognize your need for a savior and you've given your life to Jesus, the message of Jesus is this, God Go and tell, and our response is to worship him. Our response is to hold up Jesus in the highest of regard and to thank him for a debt that we could never repay because you can't buy your salvation. You can't deserve your salvation. God's standard is perfection. And it's a standard that it doesn't matter how many good things you do in your life. It doesn't matter how charitable you are, how much money you give to a church or a charity doesn't matter how many people you serve. You don't hit that standard. And this is the message. Happy Easter. There's something wrong with you. That's the core message of the gospel. There's something wrong with me. But God loves us anyway. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on that cross 
Because the cost of our sin is death. But the gift of God is life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Scripture tells us that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God, that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. Not of our works so that any of us could boast. Not of our works. Not of things that we do so that any of us could be like, look at what I've done for God's kingdom. Look at how much God loves me. Look at how incredible I am. No, 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 no. The message of the cross of Jesus is this. It's over and it's done and the price has been paid and it's been paid once and for all. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, meaning we might meet God's standard once and for all. The standard of perfection. And some of you have messed up a little bit. And the only reason I phrase it that way is because some of you messed up a whole lot. Me too. Me too. But the price has been paid. And it was paid once and for all when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried out, it is finished. Because God transferred all of my imperfections and all of my sin and all of my shame upon his son and he was my substitute. And if that's where the story ended, then today would be a waste of your time. But that tomb's empty. And we have hope. If you've recognized that, then your response is to worship and to go and tell to use your life as an opportunity to bless other people, to encourage other people, to love other people, and to point them to your Savior. And if that's something that you've never before recognized, something you've never before given over your heart and your life to God, then in a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I would just invite you in the quietness of your heart, if this is something that you really believe and you recognize there is a problem in your life and that's a problem of sin and it's a problem that we all have, but that the tomb is empty, then I would invite you just in the quietness of your heart to repeat the prayer back. Not that there's anything magical in the words that, that I say in and of themselves. It's not like you have to pray it back verbatim or else it doesn't count. But in that, it's an acknowledgement of what God has done. And who He is. And the fact that we have hope because the tomb is empty. God, I pray 
that this day that we remember, it changes forever. For those that have never before invited you into their life, God, I pray right now in the quietness of this moment that their lives and their eternities would forever change. As I say, God, I've made mistakes. I've fallen short of your standard. I need forgiveness. I need grace. Because I can't do it myself. I recognize that not only can I not do it myself, but I don't have to. Because of the work of your son, Jesus. Who is fully God and fully man. Who came to this world to pay the price that I could not pay. That he died for my sin. Three days later, he rose again. God, I want to follow you. God, I need you to save me. Come into my life. Change me. I pray, God, for those that have already made that choice and already made that decision that they would live lives in response to who you are and what you've done, that they would be forever changed, that they would no longer hold on to the sin of their past, they would no longer be a prisoner to shame, they would experience your grace, and God, they would worship. And they would go and tell. And lastly, God, I pray for those who are not yet ready. Not yet ready to follow after you. They have questions, they have doubts, they have concerns. And I pray, God, that they would take one step. And when they do, we know that you are a God whose message is this. Come and see. Reveal yourself to them, God, we pray. We ask that their hearts and their lives would be changed one day as they make the decision to follow after you. In your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.